electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland, in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Stocks hitting new highs as investors go into one of the most important weeks of the year. Jay Powell and company getting ready to speak about the state of the economy and Fed policy. The big question for investors, how do you position your portfolio from here and for the months ahead? We'll debate that with our investment committee today and a full house. Joining me for the hour is Bryn Talkington, Degas Wright, Sarat Sethi, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, let's get a check on the markets this hour. It is risk on again. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq both hitting all-time highs. The Dow up for a second day, coming off its worst week in two months. And, of course, we've got to take a look at the 10-year, the 10-year yield, yield, excuse me, currently sitting right now at just about uh, 1.255, pretty much flat as what we saw about a month ago. Those yields being closely watched, a big spike in the weeks between just about a month ago. Um, a lot to look at here, a lot of green here on the board. But, of course, we have to talk about what's coming up this week. That is Jackson Hole coming up. Uh, the Fed and other policymakers having a big meeting. There's a bit of a juxtaposition, though, right now. Um, the Fed actually considering some tapering in the fall at the same time, showing some concern. They can't even meet in person. Joe, I'm going to kick it off to you. How do you balance your portfolio with those two different thoughts in mind? Well, it's interesting because I think last week we went through this uh, fear surrounding growth peaking and also what Fed policy might be looking forward. I'm less concerned about the market impact, Frank, on a tapering. Uh, The reality is the real concern would be if this consumer-driven economy, this consumer-driven asset price appreciation, if there was an obstacle to that. Well, the obstacle doesn't come in the form of a taper. The obstacle comes in the form of a rise in interest rates. So that's something that is much further down the timeline for investors to worry about. I think we had a significant overreaction last week uh, related to the concerns surrounding Fed policy. And ultimately, what does it lead to? It It leads to a tape that looks like today in which you have this chase for performance, this rotation back into the market. You called it risk on, but it really is about people that last week kind of played into that negative thought process and paired back positions, now they are racing to get right back in again. And I think that's the danger in kind of allocating towards the premise of tapering being a concern for risk assets. I don't see it as that. I think interest rates are the bigger concern, and that's further down the line. You know, interest rates certainly concern. Surat, I want to come over to you. Uh, UBS out with a note saying the S&P looks set for 5000 Right now, just under 4500 The note also adds that rising input costs are being more than offset by rising revenues, protecting margins. So when you're looking for stocks in this market, what are you looking at? So, Frank, I'm looking for rising earnings. I think the multiple of the S&P has pretty much peaked. 
And for us to get to that next level, it's going to be earnings. And, and you're right. The companies that have higher input prices seem to be passing it on and seem to be growing revenues. They are being rewarded very well by the stock market. And those that have missed earnings, especially what we just saw in the past quarter. So companies in sectors like the financials, like the industrials, and even tech uh, have been doing well. And you've seen a little bit now come back on healthcare. So that's going to rise. That's going to lead to a rising stock market. It's not really going to be any more multiple expansion because to Joe's point, I think when rates do start moving, even with the hint of moving, the discount rate's going to affect some of these stocks. But no question, I think earnings are strong. They're going to get. They're going to be strong for the next couple of quarters, and I'm pretty positive the market going forward from here. So, Brent, a lot of talk about rates right now. We know the Fed meetings coming up. Some talk about tapering. Some concerns about COVID nineteen and the Delta variant. Where are you at right now? Is it about growth or about value in this current environment? Well, I think I think Surratt hit it right spot on. It's about earnings. And so ultimately, we know this, that earnings drive returns in the long term. What you have over the last few weeks, though, is I think you definitely got the sense that, you know, the market, especially the value names, had sold off. And so that was a great opportunity the last few weeks to pick up some of those high quality names. Like I bought a, a Freeport MacMoran last night, last week that is very levered to the economy, the global economy. I do think, though, that right now the sentiment is shifting back to your point to risk on when you have, you know, the Jackson Hole meeting going virtual. You also have, you know, you also have um, Kaplan coming out. You know, the Dallas Fed president saying that if we do have Delta continue to weigh on the economy, he, who's one of the most hawkish of, of, of the Fed president, said, well, he would be open to pushing out his, I think, original October suggestion of tapering. And so I think you're going to continue to see this, you know, Delta variant. As much as we'd all like to get rid of it, it's, it seems to be here to stay. And that, to me, that narrative of how that moves to the economy is still going to define what the Fed does. But I think ultimately the Fed is going to risk being late, meaning late to taper and late to raise rates, which has broader implications to inflation longer term. All right. So, Brennan Surratt, you both think it's all about earnings. Oppenheimer out with a note about that actually today. Ninety five percent of S&P 500 companies have reported earnings. Uh, growth is up 94 percent. Revenue growth up 26 percent. So, Degas, I come over to you uh, with everything we, we just kind of discussed right now. Where are you finding opportunities in the market? Well, you know, Frank, what we're looking for is is exactly earnings. So you want to look at for those valuation. You want to look at valuation of all the companies that you're reviewing, but you also want to see those companies that have are profitable. And so you want to see companies that have positive earnings going forward. And so what we're seeing some definite opportunities in that we like uh, equity yields versus fixed income yields. So we see quality companies that issue dividends. These are the companies that will provide the investor a consistent return and a value to the investors. And so also we're seeing I think, believe Surratt mentioned healthcare. Healthcare is having a comeback recently, and so we're seeing some value add in the healthcare, and also we're seeing industrials doing well. Like once again, quality technology is going to do well in this market. So once you have to separate the companies that have positive earnings outlook and focus on those. John, any uh, quick take on this? I know you actually have uh, been really keeping your eye on the volatility in the market, and you cut some of your options activity. All right, no audio there. John, we're going to let you get some uh, 
technical assistance there. But in the meantime, Joe, you mentioned the consumer. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson out with a new note saying disappointing retail sales and consumer sentiment suggests the U.S. consumer is actually fading and that there's growing evidence the slowdown could be greater than expected. Uh, within that note, Mike Wilson actually cites inventory to sales ratio actually being a bit misleading. In his opinion, sales are just much more robust than retailers expected. And there may not be all this pent-up demand that people are anticipating in the second half of the year. Joe, is that an opinion that you share? I agree with a lot of what's contained in Mike's note. The problem that I have is I think Mike, he might be a little bit early on this. The consumer is clearly the number one indicator for me as to when we're going to see a correction. It's going to be more than 2.2%, uh, which is what we got last week. It is going to be the, ultimately the consumer retrenching and seeing their economic behavior go in the wrong direction. Now, why do I say I think he's early? Because I think that behavior, Frank, is really tied to what we know to be the wealth effect. That's the pricing of assets and also the pricing of housing. You'll see the most dramatic impact on housing when there's an actual rise in rates. I think that's when the housing market will begin to cool. That's when the wealth effect will begin to diminish, and that ultimately is where your concern is for the consumer. So it is absolutely the leading indicator, but I don't think we're at the moment just yet where we're going to see consistent uh, retrenchment in consumer behaviors. I do think, however, I agree completely with what Degas is talking about. I think the market right now, while you're waiting to determine where the consumer is going to be at, the market wants quality. It's the same formula as what we witnessed in 2010 coming off the great financial crisis, 2009, everything rallied, didn't matter what the quality was, very similar to 2020. 2021, though, we're now transitioning towards you have to have the quality balance sheet, very similar to 2010. I think that's the prudent way to play it while we determine to see what is the actual condition of the consumer. All right, Pete, I think we got your IT problems worked out. You know, mistakenly, I called you your brother. I think maybe sure. mistakenly you might hit the mute button. But... <laughs> I think we have it all resolved now. Uh, any take For on the, the idea right that the consumer is fading? Um, yeah, I think that the consumer, you know, when you look at it, they, they've gone out and they've spent and they've spent and they've spent, and now all of a sudden the checks are going to start to slow down or end. And, and because of that, yeah, you could see some of that, Frank. I think that's why we're looking at markets that do have a little bit of volatility in them. Now, recently we had that spike over 20 that lasted all of about 24 hours maybe it was like a day and a half so maybe extend that out a little bit but we're right back to where we were right back in the 17th for the volatility index so that tells me that people have found this comfort zone and going back to these stocks I have always preached the way you look at stocks, you should always look at quality, quality first. You look at leadership, you look at the fundamentals, you look at growth. If you've got all three of those pillars, you've got a great opportunity to have a stock that's most likely going to perform very, very nicely for you. And you look across and you see many of these. Now, with the option side of things, it gives us the, the leeway to be able to go after some of these very aggressive companies that maybe don't have that same kind of a balance sheet that others will. But that gives you at least that option ability to be able to play in that field. So I, I look at this market right now and I look at that volatility, how fast we got up to 24, 25 and rallied and, and, and we were up there for moments and then we immediately gave it back. So once again, I think we're in a very comfortable spot and it's time to start looking for more uh, opportunities, Frank, as we've come back in this volatility where people feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, Pete, I think your opinion is being shared by Ed Yardeni putting out a, a note earlier. The bull market has some challenges, but not expecting a significant correction. Right now, let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman with more on what to expect from Powell and the Fed policymakers this week. 
Steve, over to you. Frank, yeah, views on Fed policy changing about as rapidly as the Delta variant is sweeping through parts of the nation. What seemed like a decisive movement about a week or so ago toward an announcement of a taper at the September Fed's meeting, now at the very least is unclear. Markets await the Friday speech by Fed Chairman Jay Powell at the now virtual Jackson Hole Summit. The conference was planned as a live event and could have been a symbol of a return to normal. Now it's a symbol of the potential return to concerns about the pandemic. Ben Ammons from Medley Global Advisors writes, the Jackson Hole event gone virtual is a strong signal to markets that central bankers take Delta seriously. But how seriously? Fed officials earlier this month were talking about a faster timeline for the taper. Now at least one of those officials, you guys were talking about this, Robert Kaplan of Dallas, has said if the Delta variant starts to hurt the economy, he'd delay the announcement. But what good would it do? I like this comment this morning from Peter Bookvar, who wrote, if someone is altering their behavior because they're afraid of Delta, QE won't solve that. So going for, I'm going to a concert now because there's more QE. Powell might look to buy some time and choose a middle course. Krishna Guha of Evercore ISI says, Powell will likely build the case that the Fed is getting ever closer to meeting the substantial further progress test for tapering QE, but will not tee up a September taper decision. Okay, we're going to hear from a lot of Fed folks on Thursday and Friday this week, right here exclusively on CNBC or first on CNBC. We're going to get their views on whether the Delta variant does mean a tougher outlook for the economy, but an easier outlook for Fed policy. The main event, folks, again, Friday morning, keynote speech by Powell. Frank, I'm guessing that's in your outlook calendar already. Uh, Absolutely, Steve. So one question for you, and I think Brent has a question for you, too, is how important is timing? Can the Fed make a decision too late or too early in this situation? You know, I think a timing of a couple months is not that big a deal. I think if they go September versus November, October versus December, I think all that stuff is okay within some amount of tolerance. Um, I I think they're late already, so I think they probably should get on with it if there is indeed a connection between QE and inflation. Um, And and I think that doing more to reduce the, the amount of asset purchases sooner would probably be helpful if that's the case. All right, Steve, sit tight for a second. Bryn Talkington, she has another question for you. Bryn, over to you. Yeah, Steve, thanks. So, you know, to Peter Bakvar's point about, you know, QE won't solve things, I think we saw from the great financial crisis and then today that this QE, these monthly purchases, are wonderful for asset prices, which they're clearly stimulating, but not getting down into really stimulating the economy. And so with the unemployment levels, you know, still higher than the Fed's new mandate, and it seems the ongoing, you know, monthly purchases are not going to stop anytime soon. I'd be curious to get your impact of what you think some of the unintended consequences if the Fed continues to delay the taper and therefore continues to delay, you know, any tightening schedule probably to 2023. Well, you know, the problem with QE is something that Bernanke said a long time ago. He said it works well in practice. It works well in theory, but not in practice, or, or, or the other way around. And, and you could really say both things are true. Um, I think QE does have a depressing effect on interest rates. That, at the margin, may help some people in terms of lower mortgage rates, lower credit, lower credit. 
The problem with the economy right now, though, is one on the supply side. It's not a demand side problem. I think uh, to your uh, discussion earlier about consumers, consumers are flush with cash. More and more of them are finding jobs. Wages are going up. They're not necessarily commensurate with inflation. So the bigger trouble out there, the bigger trouble for people when we ask them in polls, the bigger trouble when we look at their balance sheet is going to be inflation. So uh, I think taking steps to ease back on that. Remember, if they were to stop today and say we're going to start to taper and do it at a $15 billion uh, a monthly rate, They'd still buy another $600 billion or more of assets for their balance sheet if they went all the way through March of next year. All right, Steve Leesman, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Hey, guys, before we move on, I just want to toss to something. Uh, Mohamed Al-Larian, he was on Squawk Box earlier today. He had some very interesting thoughts about the Fed and its plan to taper. Take a listen. We're not going to find out whether we're in a major policy mistake till the end of the year. I think we are. One minute. Inflation is not going to be transitory. I think people underestimate the inflation dynamics. But we're not going to find that out till the end of the year. So saying right here, uh, Mohamed Al-Larian saying he does not think that inflation is transitory. That's something that we've heard from the Fed. Joe, I'm going to toss things back over to you. Do you share this opinion? And how big of a danger is it for the Fed to make a decision too late? Well, I, I think we've known for the better part of 2021 that inflation's not going to be transitory in a traditional sense of how we would define that word. And I think for the better part of 2022, we're, we're going to try and define what does transitory exactly mean. So I, I'm not clear in terms of what the policy mistake ultimately would be. I, I think as investors should be expecting this to be a very conservative Federal Reserve uh, a Federal Reserve that is going to begin a taper program at some point, and they're not going to raise rates until that taper program has ended. So if ultimately that becomes some form of a mistake, um, I, I, I'm not necessarily I, I agree with the fact that it's a mistake that's going to be clear to investors here in the near term. I think that's something that would be a 2023 problem. So here's a big question, guys. Should investors stick with the big cap tech names that have really worked well during the pandemic? Brian, I'm going to start over with you. Um, obviously, we've seen some strong performance from companies like Apple and, uh, you know, great consumer products there. But when you look at Netflix and Amazon, those have been more flat during the year. What's your opinion? Our bigger positions are in the Qs and all in ARKK. So the Qs definitely, those big constituencies are Microsoft, Apple, Netflix, you know, all, all of those names. Not only have those stocks done well in general this year, They've created incredible returns for investors the last 10 and sometimes 20 years. I think the consistency of those names, the FANG names, the Q names, the consistency of earnings is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. And so because I think people feel really comfortable around the consistency of earnings, people are going to want to continue to overweight those names. Now, how much does the market want to pay for those earnings? That's a different question. Two years from now, does the market want to pay 38 times for Amazon's earnings? We'll have to see where interest rates are. But I'm in the camp that rates are going to stay lower for longer. And I mean, what I mean by that is a 2% cap. I'm not saying 125, but in that, you know, where we are now to 2%. And that's a wonderful time for equities in general, but definitely specifically those growth tech names, I think, continue to outperform. But do I think they're going to do the 20% return they've done for the last 10 years? Probably not. 
So, Rod, turn it over to you. I know you own Alphabet. Alphabet trading at an all-time high, uh, along with Adobe, uh, a lot of other stocks, tech stock names, Comcast, our parent company, also trading at a, a high since 1972, actually. What's your opinion? You know, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with owning large uh, cap tech. We own it. Like you said, you know, Alphabet's one of our top-down holdings. We own Comcast. We own Charter. We own, we own a whole bunch of tech. What, what I worry about is that investors fall in love with certain stocks, the large cap, and they concentrate their portfolios all in these stocks. So it's not like, you know, today the S&P is north of 20 22% in the, in the large five. What I worry about is when investors put 70 80% of their portfolio all in one sector and all, you know, in seven to 10 stocks. I think there's plenty of opportunity elsewhere. I'm not to say that you shouldn't be in those large cap tech, but there is opportunities in industrials, healthcare, financials, have a diversified portfolio because if we're wrong and just say that rates do go up higher, you're going to get hurt more on the tech side. So why not be balanced? Why not have that barbell strategy we all talk about? And also look for companies that are growing. I'm not saying don't buy companies that aren't growing. You've got companies elsewhere in other sectors that can grow. And, and if, if the economy does stay where it is, you could get other growth in, in other sectors. So, so that would be my one thing. But not to say I don't own it. I, I love Alphabet. I think you know, some of the parts is greater than the whole, and the earnings are going to be great there. Well, big question for investors is, what about the value names? What about those reopening names? Degas, I want to toss it over to you. One thing I've been watching is the Dow Transports. Over the last month, basically flat. Um, a big part of the transports are those airline names that a lot of people tie to the reopening. What's your take? Are you still looking to invest in reopening names? We are, well, we're already investing in those reopening names because we wanted to get ahead of the market. So one of the names that, that we own, Airline Southwest, the... Delta variant is impacting travel, and so Southwest has not recovered as much as we had anticipated. However, if you go over to some other transportation names, UPS. UPS is still doing very well. They're still delivering those packages, so those type names are doing well. Also, um, C, uh, CSR, CSX, the railroad company, is doing exceptionally well because that's part of that logistics chain that continues to work in this market. So you have to, once again, look at the transportation industry and, and pick your bets there. UPS, CSX, Railroad, these are the places you want to be. Southwest Airlines is probably one of the better domestic carriers. And so as we recover, Southwest should do well. Yeah, Southwest actually recently apologizing to customers. Also important to note, Dow Transport's up over a percent today. A big part of this reopening trade are the, is the vaccine story. Pfizer getting approval from the FDA today for its COVID-19 vaccine. Degas and Pete, you both own it. Pete, let's start over with you. Uh, what's your take on Pfizer? Was this already priced in, this approval? We heard that it may be coming for several days. Right. I mean, we knew it was coming, but everybody wanted confirmation. And I think that's why when we saw the stock this morning, it was up about 3%. We even saw a lot of uh, uh, option activity in here as well, looking very short term, looking for this week for this stock to maybe spike up a little bit further. So we'll see if that comes through. They were buying the 50 and a half calls. Pretty decent size, as a matter of fact, coming after those calls, looking for maybe another break to the upside. But this is a great example of a company where you've got incredible leadership. You look at the free cash flow, it's absolutely outrageous. You look at these pipelines, the fundamental side of this story, it's trading at a 12 PE forward. And then you look at that pipeline, you've got 60 plus stocks in phase one and two. Phase three, you've got another 30 or so. So it's an amazing company that I don't think you just look at this as a COVID play. You look at this as a very quality pharmaceutical play with a lot of vaccine exposure. And I think because of that, this is a stock that can go much higher. You look at the valuations, it still trades extremely cheap. 
So I think there is room still to the upside. You know, Dicas, I know you own Pfizer up almost 3%. But, Joe, we're going to toss things over to you. Uh, a new biotech buy is what you're eyeing right now, right? Yeah, I really, I really like Pete's thoughts there, the way he's positioned, and, and Degas as well. Uh, myself, personally, I also have AbbVie, but there has been a strong recent performance for healthcare. But biotech, Frank, it really hasn't participated. I think a lot of the reason has to do with some uncertainty on the part of the FDA and the FTC. Now, finally, we have the FDA moving here with vaccine approval for Pfizer. I think that gives a sense of clarity and allows for an opportunity uh, when you're looking for new flows of capital to go into biotech itself. So uh, a name that viewers will be familiar with is CGen. Uh, I re-entered today. I had uh, been in that uh, I'd been in that stock uh, a number of years back. I'd gotten out of it. Today, I initiated a small position back in biotech again. That's the name. That's my favorite biotech name. Um, I know that Editas is a name that's a favorite of Bryn. That's another name that you could look at. There's also CRISPR Therapeutics. But biotech really has struggled. And I think this is a moment where you're going to begin to see some of that underperformance begin to reverse itself. Yeah, you mentioned it struggle. Biotech up big today. We just showed the chart. Degas, you also have a new buy in biotech? We do. Uh, we purchased Illumina, and we really like this name, this life science company, because Illumina has developed the first non-invasive pregnancy test for, uh, to really uh, evaluate the safety for the child, the baby, and also the mother. Great tool. Also, uh, Illumina is leading in the development of personalized treatment for cancer. And so this is something that will be a definitely leader in the, uh, in the market uh, for this type of uh, cancer treatment. And lastly, we look at the return on invested capital. It exceeds the weighted average cost of capital almost twice. And so this is a company that we really like. The earnings are there. And so this is a company that uh, we're glad to add to our portfolio. Yeah, Degas. Uh, Illumina actually making a $9 billion acquisition to beef up its cancer diagnostic portfolio, rebuying Grail, a company that had spun off a few years back. Shares have been down since then, but interesting pick. Up next, the investment committee is making moves in this market. Their latest buys, those are coming up next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go and on the CNBC app. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
And welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to the headlines with Seema Modi. Hey, Seema. Frank, good afternoon. Here's what's happening at this hour, and we will start in Washington. The Pentagon says it will require all service members to get COVID shots now that the Pfizer vaccine has received full FDA approval. A Pentagon spokesman says plans are being developed and a timeline will be released in the coming days. In Tennessee, 40 people remain missing after a deadly flash flood ripped through Humphreys County west of Nashville. A confirmed death toll remains at 21. On the news, the search for the missing, how people survived, and stories of those who were literally swept away in the flood waters. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. In New England, some areas are starting to clean up from Tropical Storm Henry, including around this collapsed roadway in Connecticut. But others are still getting drenched. More than 40,000 customers in Rhode Island are without power. Frank, that's, that's the latest. Back to you. All right, Seema, thanks a lot. The investment committee is making some moves. We're going to start off with you, Sarah. You're actually adding to two existing positions. I am. And these are what I call the two fallen gems after earnings season. One is Roblox. Roblox is the leader in, in uh, you know, entertainment for video games. It's where children are using games, making money off it. We love this stock. We think the secular trends behind this are huge. And the daily average users are growing by leaps and bounds. So that's one. And then the other one is GoDaddy, which is the, the leader of uh, you know, the dot-coms. When you sign up uh, to get your own web page, your web name. And they're also in the business of hosting, security. Again, another stock that's growing. Uh, earnings didn't match the expectations on the street, and we think it's a great opportunity to pick up a, a name that uh, is going to compound, you know, eight to ten percent revenue growth for the for the next uh, few years. Yeah, you know, it's an right. interesting pick on Roblox. Uh, the metaverse is their big play. Uh, actually, shares down uh, pretty much flat over the last month. Uh, Degas, over to you. I know you're selling two stocks. Right. So we're selling Clorox because of lower demand after the pandemic. The uh, cleaning supplies. There's lower demand now. But during that time frame, they increased their operating costs. Also, they increased their level of debt. And so we determined that we could find better opportunities elsewhere. Also, we sold Baxter. Uh, Baxter uh, was having uh, competition around its leading cancer drug. And so once again, weakness uh, in outlook for Baxter. And also because of the loss of revenue from their lack of hospital sales, in Europe and the U.S. Once again, we decided to move away from those two companies. All right, Pete, over to you. I know you've been pretty busy. Yeah, the options world has been really exciting, as a matter of fact. Volumes are absolutely incredible. We've been over 40 million contracts, it seems like, consistently last week on multiple days. And on top of that, there's just been some great trade, but everything is very short-term, Frank. I mean, honestly, we're talking about one week out, two week out. So I was able to take off almost half of all of the positions that I had because we got a little bit fortunate. We had that nice big run. The stock market was moving to the upside. We lost on volatility in terms of that volatility spiking over the 20s. So there was a lot of different names in the energy space, Schlumberger and some of these names that made a really significant move. Time to take it off. Morgan Stanley had to take it off. Snap had to take it off. So a lot of selling, much more selling on my side than buying, although I did buy some NVIDIA calls today that expire on Friday. They just continue to come into this name, and that name continues to perform. So it's been an absolute monster to the upside. Regents Financial is another one where I bought some calls in the financial space as well, looking for a little bit of upside as well, going out about a month or so into September. So a lot of activity over the last two, three, four trading days. You know, Brent, over to you. We're going to talk about Roblox one more time. I was just mentioning the Metaverse stock pretty much flat over the last month despite Delta variant concerns, and you're recently a buyer. Do you see more upside? 
I do. I actually talked about it on the show a week or so ago and said, wait till after earnings if you if you don't own it, because, you know, to Sarat's point, you know, a lot of stocks sell off for no reason after earnings. But I think what investors are starting to understand is this is much more than a gaming company. This is a platform. And they're growing really well in the U.S., Canada, Asia, and Europe. And so, you know, they're a newer publicly traded company. And so I think that people are used to, in the publicly traded markets, just these content providers, people that are making games. And what's so unique about Roblox is they have, you know, 43 million users Last quarter, I think they had 9.2 billion hours played, and their average revenue per user is around, I think, $15. And so that's going to continue to grow. And once again, it's really what's called this flywheel because these developers, you know, over 8 million developers are creating content on that platform. And there's, I think there's just really no other publicly traded gaming company like that. And so I think it's, you know, great blue skies ahead for this company, and it's a great opportunity to buy it on, on, on week. And I think in this $80 range, it's a good opportunity to step into the name if you don't own it. Yeah, kids certainly seem to love it. All right, coming up, the big ETFs you need to be watching in today's trading. And as we had to break, check the S&P sectors. Halftime, back in two. All right, welcome back to halftime now to the ETF Edge with Leslie Picker. Picker, take it away. Thank you, Holland. With markets coming off a tumultuous week on Wall Street, questions abound about the resiliency of the consumer. In light of that Delta variant, that's led to a significant repricing of growth risk. Big banks downgrading their outlooks for the third quarter. So far today, though, we are seeing the reopening trade take charge again, thanks in part to a fully approved Pfizer COVID shot, which will set the stage for more vaccine mandates. So... Where do we stand on the reopening story? Well, joining me now is Brian Lake, head of America's ETF client at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, along with Todd Rosenbluth, senior director of ETF and mutual fund research at CFRA. Brian, thank you very much for joining us to you both. It, it feels like, though, we're at an inflection point for the reopening trade. What ETFs are benefiting from this recent bout of good news? Yeah, it, it does feel like we're at the in, inflection point. Um, I think we're seeing investors uh, do a couple of things. One is uh, there's always interest in income. Um, and so, you know, I think investors are looking for areas that they can get more income uh, in their portfolio. Uh, one, one area in particular that they're looking uh, as one of the strategies we offer, uh, equity premium income. The ticker is JEPI, J-E-P-I. Uh, this is a basket of quality stock names, uh, which we think matters in this market. Um, Valuations are going to be very important. Investors should be looking at the balance sheets of uh, the, the, the companies that they own uh, and, and really understanding what the valuations are uh, with equity premium income, JEPI. Uh, we also do some covered call rating on this, which actually can generate uh, some nice income here. And uh, again, investors are looking for income uh, on, on this. And so as we think about this reopen trade, um, this is one of the areas in particular that investors are, are looking. Um, the other area they're looking is to shorten up their duration. Um, you know, if we potentially get news out of Jackson Hole this week where uh, we could think about thinking about uh, ending the uh, bond purchase programs and potentially even at some point uh, lower uh, raising um, short short term rates. Uh, I think investors are pulling in their duration using strategies on the ultra short side. Uh, you know, both the both the JPST is, a, is an interesting strategy. It's our ultra short uh, ETF or JMST, which is a, a tax free version of that. Those are both areas that investors are using in their portfolios. 
Interesting. Kind of shifting gears to another factor, the old trope, you know, it was when we start to see more news about the reopening, it was more value over growth, value outperforming amid return to normal. Do you think that trade still exists these days, Todd? We do. We think value is going to return to favor. It started the year very strong. We saw rotation to growth, but more value-oriented ETFs tied to the Russell 1000, tied to the S&P 500. Uh, you have RPV, which is a pure uh, value-oriented ETF in particular, or FOVL, which is a focused value ETF from iShares. We think the heavier financials-oriented sector ETFs are also going to benefit. This is a reopening is good for value-oriented sectors. Excellent. Todd, Brian, thank you both so much for joining us today. Head over to etfedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern time for more on reopening trades, the rise of active management, and thematic ETFs. We'll be joined by Tina Herrera, one of the brains behind the Women's Empowerment ETF ahead of Women's Equality Day. Frank, back to you. All right. Thank you, Leslie. I guess I got to call you Leslie on TV. I always call you Picker in the office. All right. Stay with us. Pete's latest trades and unusual activity is coming up next right here on Halftime. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Time now for unusual activity. Pete, what are you looking at? All right, Frank, here's what I got. I'm going to start off with Palantir. Now, this is a name everybody's heard us talk about it forever, it seems like, on CNBC. It's been in a very choppy range for the last four months, very tight. And it's pretty interesting because of the fact that the stock trading right around 2440, 2450, somewhere in that range. And we had buyers coming in. 5,600 of this week's expiring, August 27th, that's Friday. Those calls, about 5,600 of those 2550 calls, those were very inexpensive, 15 cents up to about 30 cents. I like these. I'm in this. I can only be in it for this week. We'll see what happens. If it breaks to the upside, then these things really could run. Next, I got Tesla for you. Early in the trading session, the first 45 minutes, stock was trading right around 680 all the way up towards 700. We had the 720 calls that expire on Friday being bought. They bought a big number, 13,500 of these. They started off at $2.50. Paid all the way up over $5 for these calls. I'm in these calls as well. I only got this week. Everything we're seeing, as I said earlier, very, very short term. This is a great example of that. Pete, we appreciate it. Well, a bullish call on Uber. We're going to debate that in our call of the day. Stick with halftime. Rideshare giant Uber named a top 2022 pick at Morgan Stanley. It is our call of the day. Surat, turning over to you. You own it. I do own it, and I really do like it. I agree with the call. I think you've had a couple of things that have uh, gone against Uber at this point. One is, obviously, they can't get enough drivers, so they're paying up for that. Um, secondly, you know, when you look at kind of the, uh, where they're, when they're going to be cash flow positive, that is at the end of the year. And I think this is a show me story. We believe in them. We think the management team there is great. 
and, and really, it's a change, Frank. People have now changed. They're going to use Uber a lot more. They're going to use Uber Eats a lot more. And I think this is a complete show me story, uh, similar to what Pete said when, you know, when, when Pfizer got the approval. I think investors will have to wait for that. We're patient. The stock's down 50% of its high. Uh, I, I know, um, you know, some people don't give it enough credit, but I think Uber is in the right space. They've got the right product. And I think longer term, this is a stock that's going to do well. You know, Sarai, you just hit something the note hit on. It's a rising profitability in its delivery business. Pete, however, you actually just sold your Uber calls. Can you kind of give us a sense of your rationale? Yeah, and, and the, the reason is this, Frank. I mean, quite honestly, and I agree with what Surat's talking about, but the problem that I have right now is they've been promise, promising us that they're going to be cash flow positive for quite a long time, and, and we just aren't seeing that. And, and eventually, maybe we will, but we haven't yet. We've yep. heard about it. We've heard talk about it. And they've got those input costs coming up higher and higher, as Surat points out, with the drivers. And I think that's going to be an issue going forward. It's not that I don't think it's a great business. We absolutely think it's outstanding. They do a great job on execution, but their costs are going to go higher. And I think because of that, I just wonder how much further out is it going to push things before it actually does go cash flow positive. All right, Pete, you're not giving the company any breaks for the pandemic. Uh, Bryn, I think you have a you have a pretty uh, tough take on Uber as well. Right. I mean, I think it's a great company. We use it all the time. I love it. They did wonderful things for, for all of us that use it. I don't think it's a great stock, though. You know, it's still right at right below its IPO price. And I think that really what happened is there's really good companies. This company stayed private way too long. The VCs that got in early did wonderfully, so kudos to them. But I think it's a publicly traded company. I think its best days are behind them. I think it's very competitive between them and Lyft and then all of the other um, food delivery services. And so I think there's a lot other places where you can put your money and earn a better return. So for that, for that reason, I, I don't own it, and I don't think it's going to be a good use of client capital going forward. But it's a great, a great company, just not a, not a great stock. All right, understood. Shares up 2.5% right now. Lift up almost a percent. Ask Halftime. That's coming up next. Send in your questions by video, and maybe we'll play them on air. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Half. The Investment Committee is answering your questions. First up for Bryn, Michael in Oregon is asking, is coin a buy at its current level? Michael, um, I would buy coin here. I own coin. Uh, my, Brian Armstrong recently announced they're going to put 500 million of crypto on their balance sheet. And then going forward, they're going to put 10 percent of their profits per quarter in crypto. That would be about 160 million per quarter based on last last quarter's earnings. I think it's a great stock to own. I would, though, also, if you buy it here, I would sell the January 290 calls. You can bring in about twenty three dollars of premium while you're waiting because it is a volatile name. But definitely like the like the name here. Yeah, definitely volatile, about 40 percent off its highs after its IPO. All right, next up, Joe. John in Indianapolis asking uh, for Joe in the short term. Would you rather be in Pinterest or Lamb Research? Two very different stocks. Well, two very different stocks. It's very hard to define the short term. So uh, let's, let's offer a strategy for both. I don't know if Pete would agree, but I think Pinterest, I would utilize options. Uh, see if you're able to get some bottoming price action for Pinterest. If you're able to, owning some calls might be a way to play it. Lamb Research I certainly, as it approaches the 200-day moving average, and I own the stock personally, I want to own the stock here. I would be able to absorb a further uh, decline in the stock and hold it for the long term. So 
Long term, I like learn research, but in the short term, if you're going to make a trade, use options for Pinterest. All right, Degas, you're next up to bat. Spiro in North Carolina asking, what's a good entry point on Disney for a long-term hold? Well, right now, Disney is trading around $175. So there's three reasons why this is a good entry point. One, that it beat on earnings 40%. Two, that all the business units were profitable this past quarter. And three, we see that Disney will be a more efficiently run company post-pandemic. All right, Sarat, over to you. Bryson in Illinois writes, XBO, I jumped into this trade with you back in October in the mid-50s. Do you still see value here? I do. Uh, XBO just spun off uh, their logistics business. They're a pure play now. I think it's a great management team. It's in the right space. This is a reopening play uh, that's going to keep on doing well. Uh, so I really like it, and I, w- I would keep it. All right, lastly, Pete, Gordon in Florida writes, What's your two to five year outlook on Marvell technology? I'm really encouraged that this is a stock that screams to the upside, Frank. They've done a great job with acquisitions. They've actually outperformed NVIDIA in the last year. And so with the acquisitions that they've made and the exposure they've got to 5G and auto and cloud, I think this is a great company that many people don't even know. All right. Coming up, final trades here next on Halftime. Stick with us. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. All right, time now for our final trades. Ladies first. Bryn, we start with you. I will start with Jeppy. I've talked about it before. If investors are looking for a high-quality name that gives income, I'm a big fan of covered calls. Um, they sell S&P calls, own about 80 high-quality S&P names, and then just sell those calls every two weeks, and you get a mixture of capital appreciation and about 8 to eight to 9% of um, premium and dividend income per year. All right, Degas, over to you. Yeah, so we purchased... CVS Health, because this is going to be one of the leading companies in the healthcare industry because of the acquisition of Aetna. Uh, CVS is putting together a platform, digital and virtual. One example is that CVS has come out with a tool that makes it less expensive to provide healthcare tools to the consumer. Plus, it has a return on invested capital that exceeds its weighted average cost of capital. And we like it because the sales growth going forward is about 5% with a 2.5% dividend yield. Surat, you're up next. I'm sticking with Uber, largest rideshare in, in the world except for India and largest outside of China for food delivery. I like it. All right, Joe, up next. Goldman Sachs, I like the trading environment going forward in the $25 billion open-ended buyback. Pete, you're batting cleanup. TJX, I'm in Maxinista myself. The stock's been going up, and we've had bullish call buying since 69. I think this thing's going to 80. I can't imagine you in those racks. It's hard to imagine. One last check at the market stuff. Oh, market's near <laughs> session highs, uh, hitting new records today. That does it for halftime. The Exchange with Kelly Evans begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.